the baptism of the Lord that we celebrate this weekend, there are a few things that we learn about our own baptism, and which is why I use the sprinkling rite at the beginning of Mass, which is meant to remind us of our baptism. Plus, I really enjoy throwing water on all of you. Uh, and it's holy water, so it's good. And this is one of the best, uh, they call the, the thing that I use an aspergillium. And it's probably one of the best that I've used because a lot of water comes out of there. And I, I really quite enjoy it. Now, it's bad for the ones who get it right after I put, put it in there, but uh, it's holy. So, uh, but it reminds us of that the gift that we have received by no merit of our own, right? We didn't necessarily choose it if we were baptized as a child. It's God's mercy that he invites us into his family uh, no matter what. And no matter what we've done, anyone who wants baptism can receive it. And it wipes all of those things out. And it's, it begins, and we get that from the fact that Jesus himself allowed himself to be baptized, and this is a different baptism, a baptism of repentance by John. Of course, Jesus had nothing to repent of as he is God. Uh, and so he had no sin. But he tells John, and John recognizes this, right? And he tells John, uh, it is fitting that this should take place to fulfill righteousness. Because it's at this moment that he does this, that Jesus begins his public ministry in making clear uh, his identity and his mission. That's what happens at the baptism of the Lord. And it's also a reminder for each of us of our identity and our mission. Because we're baptized, in our baptism, we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into him so that we have that identity as an adopted son or daughter of God. And that we then are put on mission in this world, just like Jesus, to go around to preach and live the good news so that those who are caught in darkness can see the light, so that those who are afraid or don't know God can come to know the one who has created them out of deep and abiding love. And he calls them into a powerful relationship with him. That's what we can begin to understand and unpack in this gospel this weekend, in this celebration of the baptism of the Lord. Because a couple of things come to mind if you're a first century Jew when you see this taking place, right? So you're going to the Jordan. I, I've been to the Holy Land, and I've been to the Jordan, and I would not want to be baptized in it. It is muddy water. It's kind of like a, a big glorified ditch. And uh, that's where we're going to get baptized, right? So what is the significance of the Jordan? And if we think back to the Old Testament, what happens at the Jordan, right? There's the crossing over of uh, Joshua as he leads the people into the promised land, right? They cross the Jordan River. Uh, and this is after they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years with Moses. And he brings them into the promised land. So it's significant for us that Jesus and John himself, following the, the Spirit's guidance, goes to the Jordan to do this. Because when Jesus does this, when he is, allows himself to be baptized, he's immersed, not as a sinner, but into our sins. Because he's the one who's going to free us from them and to lead us into our eternal homeland. Right? This is why it happens at the Jordan. And how do we know it's the eternal homeland? Because at his moment he comes out of the water at his baptism, the heavens open. Those have been closed 
since the first sin entered the world. The heavens are now being opened for us because of what Jesus is showing us today. There's also another line in there that points us back to uh, something in the Old Testament that would have been easy for those people hearing this to understand. And it's the very last one, where the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved Son. No less than three times in the story, story of Abraham and Isaac is Isaac called the beloved Son. And we all remember that story where Abraham was supposed to sacrifice this beloved son of his, to take him up on that mountain and to offer him back to God. And he did uh, take him there, and God didn't allow it to happen because God said, no, not your son, but mine will be offered. And we're reminded that this baptism already points us to the sacrifice that God the Father will allow of his son for our salvation. That sacrifice on the cross, it's already pointing us to how God will fulfill that, how he will bring us back into relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, uh, when, you can, when you understand it, when we have that understanding, I mean, we're 2,000 years away from that, so it's hard for us. But whenever I study these things and I find these connections, uh, somebody else finds them and tells me about it, uh, yeah, I'm not afraid to steal from everybody else. Because uh, it's good stuff, right? It opens up like, wow, this is what's going on at Jesus' baptism. It's the new exodus from sin, and it opens, uh, and, the new, and he's leading us to the new homeland, which is eternal. And we, by no merit of ours, are invited into this through our own baptism. So, one of the things I think is so difficult for us to believe and to begin to live from is the fact that we are his sons and daughters, that our identity is God's son or God's daughter. That's how much he loves us, that through Jesus, we too can be called that. And when we begin to live from that reality, that God has loved us so much that he's desired to adopt us into his family, the family of the Trinity, right? The family of utter happiness and goodness that he has invited us to be part of that by no merit of ours, but by his free gift. That can change how we live life to recognize that we are, our identity is that. That's our deepest identity. It's not what job I have or not have. It's not what I do. It's who I am that makes the most difference. And from who I am, then the Lord can instruct and guide us in what we do. Because just as uh, Jesus' identity is made known in this baptism, in our baptism, our identity is made known as sons and daughters of God. And then he sets us on mission. Go share that good news. Go share that good news with all of those who don't know it yet or don't believe it. Because it's true for everyone. It's true for everyone. Invite them into that by the way you live your life, by allowing that identity of being a son or daughter of God to transform us in the way we live, to live for the Lord. That is a light in the darkness of the world. And that's a beautiful gift that we give back to the Father, and it's actually how we continue to prepare ourselves for that eternal homeland for which we long, for which our hearts long. Today, Jesus teaches us through his own baptism that we have an identity as son or daughter of God and that we have a mission to share him with all of those that we meet. 
to share with those who are lost in darkness because God loves them and he desires them to be a son or daughter. Today we celebrate the presentation of the Lord or what is also called a candle mass. Uh, And it's interesting because this is the 40th day right after Christmas and it was the instruction of the law of the Old Testament that every child born uh, and their mother and father would come to the temple 40 days after to offer sacrifice and to consecrate, if it was a, a boy, to consecrate every male that, that uh, was the firstborn in the womb. And so Jesus and Mary, those two who were free of sin, would have been exempted, if anyone would have been exempted of the law, uh, it would have been those two. Uh, and yet God in his humility and Mary in her humility uh, go to the temple to offer this sacrifice. And I think it teaches us many things. The, the beautiful uh, prayer that Simeon prays as he sees finally what had been promised to him. He, he was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would see the salvation of Israel and that when he saw that, he would be able to, be, to go home, right? He was at that time of old age and desired to be with the Lord. And he sees this child Jesus and he picks him up out of his mother's arms and probably raises him up, right? And no wonder the parents were a little bit uh, freaked out by it, right? Somebody grabs your kid and they go, this is the salvation of Israel, right? I was like, ooh, okay, uh, interesting. And then Anna, the prophetess, right? She's been waiting there, praying, fasting, For years and years for Jerusalem, for that promise that God had sent through his prophets. And there she sees it face to face. That is something that can be very powerful for us to recognize that the temple was the the center of Jewish worship. And when Jesus comes back, he again begins to uh, direct and purify and cleanse the temple many times when he's when he's preaching, when he's driving out the money changers and everything else. And then also when he says, I will destroy that temple and in three days raise it up. Because now he's transferring the temple to his very flesh. To him coming into our flesh. He becomes the temple. And then St. Paul reminds us through baptism that we all are temples. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And we call this candle mass because... It's the blessing of the candles that bring light. And who is the light of the world? But Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. So here's, the, here's my thing. If Jesus is the light of the world and we are meant to be those temples of the Holy Spirit, do we let the light of Jesus into every aspect of our life? Do we allow him to light it up? Do we allow him to purify our hearts in those places that we need purified? As it says in our second reading, or the first reading, actually, that uh, when God comes to his temple, that he would sit there like a refiner's fire, purifying, preparing us for that gift of eternal life that God desires to give us. And of course, we are the people who had fallen into sin, and the result of sin is death. And we're, as the second reading says, afraid of it, right? There's this, we're terrified of it. And God himself enters into our flesh. He takes upon himself our sin and death to save us from those sins. And then he conquers death 
We have no longer have to have fear of it. It is the entry into eternal life. Jesus has experienced all of those things that we're frightened of. All of those things that uh, we struggle with. Right In our world today, there's quite a bit of darkness, in my opinion. Uh, and I don't think it's ever been really any different throughout the ages. There's always that going on. There's this battle, this spiritual warfare between good and evil. Uh, and good always conquers. But it has to, to be to conquer in us. We have to cooperate with that good. We have to enter into it. We have to let God light up every bit of our life. Now, there are a couple of things that are going on now when we, when we look at our second reading. It's uh, pretty powerful there at the end because it reminds us that Jesus himself was tested through what he suffered so that he would be able to help all of us who will inevitably be tested in this life. And why are we tested? To be purified, to be prepared for eternal life. And so many times in in different culture, different uh, countries, and even in our own, it's creeping in in different states, uh, this idea of we have to alleviate suffering at all costs, right? Even to the point of ending our life. And it's so dangerous to get into that mindset that everything in this life must be uh, free and easy, so to speak. Because this life is not it. We are made for eternal life. We're made to be with God forever in heaven. And sin has broken this world. But Jesus gives us the grace to endure. We can recognize with him that he's been tested to the point of death, a gruesome death on the cross. So that no matter what we're suffering, we can offer it and and unite it with him on the cross. And it is redemptive. Let me say that again. It is redemptive. Suffering is not meaningless. It brings about transformation in our own heart. It brings light into our life, and it purifies us to prepare us for eternal life. To never forget that. So many voices in our world today will try to get us to push it away. Like, I mean, we're all going to suffer. There's not one person in here that won't face some type of suffering in their life. But Jesus has been there before, and we can follow him and unite ourselves with him. There is meaning in it. There is purpose that God can show us that he will bring about in us, and that will light up the world. I've encountered uh, much of this as a priest. I'm called many times to the side of a hospital bed or in someone's deathbed in hospice, and you can see those who have been uniting it with Christ, who have been offering it to him. There's a difference. They're a light. there's, There's a power in what they have done with their life, having been followers of Jesus having given the, giving him their life by what you're doing here tonight, by entering into the sacrifice as the high priest Jesus offers himself to the Father again for you and me to give us his very divine life so that it can light up those dark places in our own heart and so that it gives us the strength to be a light to this world, a, light, a, a, a world that so badly needs the light of Christ. So this week... Pray with that scripture that Jesus is the light of the world and that he desires to make you like him, a light. What is it that's keeping us from that? Is it some suffering that I need to unite with Jesus so that I know there's this powerful purpose within it? Is there some sin that is holding me down that that I can feel the darkness 
uh, that surrounds me with it. Invite Jesus the light into it. Invite him into your heart. Not later on, but right now, tonight. Invite Jesus to light up all those areas of your life that he wants you to surrender to him so that he can transform them, so that you too can be like him, a light to this world. Today we celebrate the candle mass, it's called, uh, the presentation of the Lord into the temple 40 days after his birth, which is uh, traditionally has been the end of the Christmas uh, season uh, for a long time. And so you can take your tree down now. All right. <laughs> See these poinsettias? Like, I think it was my blessing. They just keep, keep going, right? Now somebody asked me if I blessed them. How do, they, how do you keep them going? Ours are dead at home already. And I said, it wasn't me. All right. It's our wonderful people who take care of them. <laughs> they do a great job. And uh, today, though, in this beautiful gospel, there's a couple of things I, I want to draw attention to is Simeon and Anna, these two who were waiting for this great revelation of God, this promise uh, to be fulfilled. They had been promised through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they would see God's salvation in the flesh. And so imagine the, the scene as Joseph and Mary and, and Jesus come to the temple. They're following the prescripts of the law. And so they're being faithful to God and all those responsibilities. And they come in and Simeon like takes the child Jesus out of Mary's arm. And I can imagine him like holding him up and be like, this, the revelation of the Gentiles, the light of salvation that was promised. I could now die in peace because this is what God had told me. And uh, I can imagine Mary and Joseph being like, what? You know, I mean, Mary knew something was up. She was asked to be the mother of God, but this Simeon would have uh, added some other things to it, such as he will be a rise and fall of many in Israel, and a sword too shall pierce your heart, right? That had to be something that Mary pondered throughout her life. And of course, we know that she, this was already pointing us to what Jesus would do to save us from our sins, that he would go to the cross, that he would take upon all the scourge of sin in this life for us and allow it to be crucified. But of course, that's not the end of the story because he conquers sin and death. And so he gives us this great hope that in our life too, the struggles, the sufferings, the difficulties can be, will be crucified, but also resurrected, right? It will be purified in our heart, preparing us for that eternal life that we desire. And part of the uh, issue, I think, in today's world is, uh, and I hear this quite a bit, especially among uh, our younger folks, that there's just so much pressure on figuring out what am I supposed to do? And I mean, I'm talking like middle school. They're having to figure out like, what am I supposed to do to get into the right high school, to get into the right college so I can, so I can be uh, who I'm supposed to be in the eyes of the world. And there's just way too much pressure and anxiety that comes with that reality. I want you to take a look at these two biblical figures, Simeon and Anna. Anna, this prophetess, was married. And in that time, you married fairly early. So I'm guessing 15, 16, she was married. Seven years, she lived with her husband before he died. So she's early 20s. And then she spends the next 60 years 
in prayer and fasting in the temple for God. It could be seen as like, wow, what a boring life, huh? That's, I mean, that's what we can think. Uh, and then Simeon, too, just following the inspirations of the Lord, simply going to the temple day after day to pray for Israel, to pray for its salvation. We can think of those ideas in the worldly terms, or those lives in worldly terms, as boring or nothing exciting. When in reality, it's living the day-to-day faithful life with God that brings salvation in our own lives. We don't have to do something spectacular in this world. We don't have to be famous or rich or uh, well-known to have made a mark in this world. Nobody knew Anna, except nowadays we all know her, right? Because she was faithful to the Lord. She was this prophetess who spoke God's words uh, to those who would listen. Like to do what God has asked us to do is powerful. Whether the world knows it or not, it makes no difference. That's what we have to kind of continue to incorporate. Think of the great saints, uh, St. Therese, right? Her, her mother and father. They are saints. Louis and, I forgot her name just now. Anyway, the mom. Uh, <laughs> they had five beautiful daughters uh, who, a couple others are probably going to end up being saints as well. And they were just faithful French peasants who lived their life, who raised one of the greatest doctors and saints of the church by just doing the day-to-day. Louis go, would go to work. He would take care of his daughters. He loved his daughters. Uh, It was a beautiful gift of self throughout his life that brought about all kinds of transformation in the world today. St. Therese is still at work in all of our lives, interceding for us, uh, obtaining those graces we need to keep following the Lord faithfully. So what is it that we need to do? Ask the Lord where we're supposed to be. We enter into what you're doing here today, worshiping God, right? When we get worship of God right, then our life becomes well-ordered. It takes time. It takes practice. When we pray each day, asking the Lord to motivate us, inspire us with his Holy Spirit in all that we do, he does it, right? Be attentive to his movements, to his inspirations. He won't shout over the noise of the world. So we have to kind of inculcate that silence of heart, even in the midst of busyness, to listen to to the Lord. And of course, to clear out the stuff that maybe gets in our way at times through confession, uh, which just opens us to be more attentive to the Lord. And in those ways, we do the little things each day with just this great gift of faith that brings about transformation in our lives. Now, maybe we are those ones who are called to be uh, famous, right? I think everybody is well aware of uh, What recently happened, was it last Sunday, with Kobe Bryant, right? You never know the day or the hour. But do you know that he went to Mass that morning with that daughter that was with him in the helicopter? That he praised the Lord uh, that very morning? Like, he was certainly famous, but he did live a lot of things for the good of other people, in silence and without many people seeing it. Uh, So it's possible to do that as well. But you don't have to be, right? The Lord loves you. He has called you to a specific purpose in this life. And that may be in the silence of home living. It may be in a job that 
to the world seems mediocre or boring, but doing it faithfully with the Lord's grace, with his help, brings about that salvation that God has brought into the world through the child Jesus. And it puts us and keeps us on that path to heaven, which is the fulfillment of every desire and hope of our heart.